I'm Martin Tyler, and you're listening to Harry Simeon. Hello, everybody, and welcome back to the final Chronicles of Aguna post-match reaction podcast of the season. Arsenal running out 5-1 winners over Everton at Emirates Stadium. It was a five-star performance, you could say, from Mikel Arteta's Gunners, but it was too little too late. And unfortunately, we missed out on Champions League qualification. That's because Spurs, who only needed a point from their trip to Carrow Road, were able to take all three with an emphatic 5-0 victory over Dean Smith's side. So, of course, there is an air, there is a feeling of disappointment among the Arsenal fan base this evening. There's also a little bit of pride, though, too. And we're in this, I don't know about you guys, I can only speak for myself, but I feel like a lot of us just sort of scrolling through social media and reading some of your comments and reading some of your tweets, I feel like a lot of us are in this like weird headspace where we're half distraught, disappointed, frustrated because of how close we came to securing Champions League football and how we had it all in our hands. But by that same token, there is a sense of pride there. There is a, a bit of kind of satisfaction in the fact that we did progress this season. And it's a really weird place to be in mentally at this moment in time, isn't it? I, I mean, we'll, we'll try and unpack it all and we'll try and decipher it and we'll try and come to some kind of conclusion as to how we should be feeling. But as I've been saying to you guys for a long, long time now, um, and particularly over the last sort of five, six days since, of course, we lost that game up at Newcastle, I think when the dust settles, I think people will look at this season from an Arsenal perspective very, very differently. We're going to be talking about the game. We're going to be discussing some of the individuals. We're going to be talking about some contract news uh, that seems to be uh, spreading like wildfire on social media this evening. And of course, um, we are going to uh, talk about the summer ahead, kind of. Um, I, I don't want to be like, I don't want to make these huge sweeping statements and I don't want to be like OTT in my reaction today because I, I watched Mikel Arteta's press conference after the game. And I thought he was right to kind of say, I'm not going to be able to assess this season in the most appropriate and accurate way at this point when I'm feeling disappointment and when the, the, um, the, the emotion is still very, very raw. And I kind of feel the same way. We are going to bring you a season review this week. We are going to look on a number of elements. As I say, we're going to do an overall one. We're going to look at the defence, the midfield, the attack. We're going to talk about whether there have been improvements, if there have been improvements. We're going to talk about who we should be looking at, or at least identify the profile of players that we need to be looking at going into the summer. So lots and lots of content looking back on the season uh, coming up over the next week or so. And then we're going to shift the focus onto the summer and looking ahead. And listen, um, Stan says in the chat as well, afternoon, Harry, um, enjoyed your content this season. Thank you so, so much, mate. I, I honestly appreciate it. And I do want to take the opportunity before I kind of get right into this and forget uh, to say a massive thank you to every single one of you that's been with the channel with the podcast throughout the course of the season, because you guys have been amazing. And once again, um, I've been able to kind of use the Chronicles of Aguna as a, a sort of portfolio of work. And it's helped me so, so much in my career as well. So I am so, so thankful to every single one of you. And um, yeah, just wanted to get that out there nice and early. 
Okay, so how am I feeling this evening? Sunday evening, half past nine at night, um, sort of sitting down, trying to kind of trying to kind of process it all in my head. Um, and I guess for me, it, it is exactly what I described. There is a sense of pride. There is a sense of um, satisfaction with the fact that Arsenal took some strides this season. And was it all perfect? No, it wasn't. Did we make some decisions that you could look back on now as questionable? Yeah, probably. I think it's easy, though, always to be Mr. Captain Hindsight. And I don't really want to be that. Not at this point. Not when, at the start of the season, I said that for Arsenal, I needed them to finish in the top six. I expected them to finish in the top six. Um, if they did finish in the top six, then that would be enough um, in terms of what the, what I believed the club were looking for from Mikel Arteta. And I said that top four was the absolute maximum that this side could achieve. And to be where we've ended up, um, it means that I can't be outraged. I can't be upset. Um, I can't be uh, sort of throwing my toys out the pram because I'd be a hypocrite and I'd be Mr. Captain Hindsight. And I don't want to be that. You know, I think that a lot of people wrote off Arsenal's chances of even qualifying for the Europa League at the start of the season, let alone, uh, you know, the Champions League, which we've the race that we've taken to the final day. You know, people told me at the start of the season that United were going to be head and shoulders above us, that Leicester were going to be head and shoulders above us, that the business Aston Villa had done, notably taking Emi Buendia away, supposedly from under our noses, was going to put them in a much stronger position than we and you look at that and only one of those sides, Tottenham Hotspur, have managed to finish above us. And people will talk about Antonio Conte, the impact he's had. And of course, he's had an impact. He's a, a top, 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 top manager. There's no denying that. He's superb. I even wrote an article over on 90min.com at some point last season, before he took the Spurs job, where I said that for me, he was the best manager in the world at, the, at that current time. And I do still believe that he's right up there. He really, really is. So Spurs getting the top, top manager um, and he has made a difference and he has made a key contribution. But for me, for me, the difference between the two sides is not even Antonio Conte. It's what they've got up front. It's the fact that they've got Hyungmin Son, who's won the Premier League Golden Boot this season, and the fact that they've got Harry Kane. Two world-class players, I would go as far as saying that, in comparison to Arsenal, who, you know, had their issues with Pierre-Emerick Aubameyang, turned to Alexander Lacazette, who wasn't able to deliver for the remainder of the season, and then had to switch their attention later on to Eddie Nketiah, a young man whose contract is due to expire um, in a matter of weeks, who has given a good account of himself, but in my opinion, is still a long, long way away from being an elite level forward. So, you know, whose fault is that? You could argue that Arsenal were wrong to let Aubameyang go without bringing in a replacement. We've been over this a million and one time, so I don't want to be revisionist. I don't want to keep going round in circles. There's, you know, there's lots that you can try and decipher. There's lots that you can try and unpack. And it's why I want to do it very thoroughly and very, you know, I want to do it deeply over the course of the next week so that I can try and come to some kind of conclusion as to how I should be feeling about this season right now. But as I say, it is mixed at this moment in time because when you 
when you get into the position that we got ourselves into with regards to that Champions League chase, if you miss out, it hurts. And it does hurt. There's no denying it. It hurts. You know, and it hurts more because it's Tottenham. It hurts more because it's them. You know, had at the start of the season, you told me that we were going to finish fifth and that Manchester United were going to finish in the top four ahead of us behind Chelsea, Liverpool, Manchester City. I would have said to you, you know what, I can live with that. But I am struggling to process it and struggling to deal with it because it is Tottenham Hotspur. Now, I said I'd made peace with it earlier in the week. I said I'd made peace with the fact that we were going to miss out on the Champions League after that Newcastle game. And to a degree, I did. But as we started building up to this game, as we started getting closer and closer towards it, you do start to feel that little bit of hope, a little bit of, I'm not going to call it expectation, but you, you do start to believe a little bit that what you need may well happen. And unfortunately for us, it wasn't to be. But I guess when I went to the Emirates Stadium today, off the back of what we saw at Newcastle on Monday night, and I'd been away all week, so I'd had loads of time to think and think about it, loads of time to process it. And I hadn't really been on social media and I hadn't really been doing podcasts and putting out content in the way that I normally do. So I was a little bit more detached from the whole situation. But one of the thoughts that kept crossing my mind as I was flying back was, how are the fans going to respond to this Arsenal side after what happened at Newcastle and what happened at Spurs the week before? How are the fans, not a few anonymous faceless trolls online, how are the actual match-going fans going to respond and react to Mikel Arteta's young side when they come back to the Emirates for the first, uh, for, sorry, for the last game of the Premier League season? And I was positively surprised. Now, I've spoken to you guys time and time again, and I know that a lot of you don't get to go to the Emirates for a number of reasons, whether it's you can't get tickets because it's difficult or geography doesn't allow it. I get all of that. But I always think that it's it's my responsibility as someone who creates content around the football club, um, you know, to try and give you guys, those of you that can't attend, that little bit of insight as to what things were like inside the stadium. And that's why I felt... It was important in my instant reaction video today from the ground that I included some of the scenes after uh, the full-time whistle, after the players had come out and began doing their lap of appreciation around the pitch. Now, people will laugh and people will joke and say, why are they doing a lap of honour when they want? No, whatever the result is, comes, you know, rain or shine, Arsenal and lots of other clubs, most clubs, in fact, all the Premier League clubs from what I know, walk around the pitch at the end of the game to show their appreciation to the fans for their support throughout the duration of the season. And I felt it was really, really important, more important than me sitting in the stadium, rambling on, trying to shout over the top of some dodgy tunes on the old PR system. Um, PA system, I beg your pardon. I thought it was more important that I let you guys see what was actually happening in the stadium during that point. Because from the minute I walked into Emirates today, everybody was buzzing. Everybody was cheerful. Everybody was happy to be there. Everybody was loud. Everybody was proud. And everybody had kind of taken the disappointment from earlier in the week, processed it, and come. the majority had come to the conclusion that, yeah, it's going to be disappointing if we miss out. But, you know, we've still shown good signs this season. 
And that was was a mood that I think was born out of the fact that as you get closer to the game, as you get closer to the event, there's a tiny little part of you that believes. There's a tiny little part of you that still thinks that Tottenham might go to Norwich um, and make a mess of it. And so before the game, you can understand the buzz and you can understand people being up for it and you can understand why the atmosphere was largely positive. But it was very quick, uh, very apparent very quickly that Tottenham Hotspur were going to run away with it at Norwich when they took the lead very early on in the game. They took a commanding lead and they ended up absolutely stuffing them. So then I'm starting to ask myself, OK, what happens to the atmosphere now? What happens inside the stadium in terms of the mood, in terms of the vibe, now that we know that any little chance that you might have sort of hoped for in the back of your mind going into the game has completely gone and completely evaporated. What will the mood be like now? And it was still positive. And it was still supportive. And everybody, most people, stayed back at the end of the game. So I don't need to tell you that Arsenal have progressed. I don't need to tell you that the match-going fans are feeling engaged again. I don't need to tell you that the match-going fans, when the dust settles, will be feeling much more optimistic going into the 22-23 season than they were going into this 21-22 season. I don't need to tell you that. What you saw, what you witnessed with your own eyes at Emirates Stadium after the full-time whistle today tells you all you need to know. And that, for me, is the definition of a supporter. A supporter is there, come rain or shine. A supporter is there to support. That is the very definition of the term. And I accept that there is disappointment in the air. And I feel it too. And I accept that it hurts more because it spurs. And I accept that given the position we were in, we probably should have got over the line. But we weren't good enough. The squad wasn't deep enough. We didn't have enough quality. Some key players didn't show up when it mattered. And, and, you know, you can write a, a list as long as my arm of reasons why Arsenal didn't get over the line and why Arsenal didn't finish in the top four. But at the end of the day, at the end of the day, our duty as supporters is to support them. And I was proud to see those fans inside the stadium, um, you know, making sure that they made their sort of feelings known made sure that they put that message across. Now, this is a young group, and I've seen lots of people on Twitter saying, oh, stop talking about the age of the team. Stop peddling your club narrative. I've been called the company man again a number of times today. All of that stuff that I always get, I've come to expect nothing less uh, from the anonymous uh, Twitter trolls. But at the end of the day, I'm not ashamed to say that I think Arsenal have progressed this season. I'm not ashamed to say that I feel more engaged and more invested with my football club than I have done in the last few years. I'm not ashamed to say that Arsenal finished in a position that's probably about right for what we have at our disposal. I think that's a fair assessment. And as we move on throughout the week, and as I say, as we start to break down individual elements, as we start to really deep dive, as we start to conduct our post-mortem, I'm hoping that I'll be able to give you more considered opinions with evidence and facts to back them up as to why it didn't happen, as to what needs to improve. And I hope that we can come with up with some conclusions that we can then use to form 
some sort of plan as to what we think the new season will bring and what we probably need to do in the summer. Now, it'll all be opinion-based, of course. I'm not sitting here uh, spitting out facts to you guys. I'll be sharing my opinions on those particular subjects. But I just think, as Mikel Arteta says, it's really difficult now, um, you know, to assess this season because there is that disappointment and there is that frustration in the air. Now, as I say, the fact that it was very unlikely today has given us some time to process it. But then you go into the game and there is that tiny little bit of you that does, even if you don't completely believe, you you start to want to believe because you want to believe it's human instinct that you're going to go to the game for a reason today, that there's something to play for. And look, one of my biggest, biggest, biggest fears going into this game against Everton today was that what if Tottenham did manage to mess it up in the way that they have done many and many a times throughout their history. But Arsenal weren't ready. Arsenal weren't there to take advantage. What if Arsenal had failed to beat Everton today and Tottenham had dropped points at Norwich, uh, Tottenham had lost at Norwich? How would you have felt? I'd have felt absolutely distraught. I'd have felt sick to the stomach. And it's why I was desperate for Arsenal to get the result today. And what more can you ask for? You know, five goals at home, in front of your fans, some nice football at times, um, you know, a variety of goal scorers. There was so much to be positive about based on that individual performance. People will say that Everton are on the beach, etc., etc. They're safe, and I get all of that. But I just think, um, I just think for me, um, you know, that I, I'm I take some pride in the fact that we went there and did our job, and we were in the position to pounce if that opportunity presented itself um, on the final day. Unfortunately, he didn't, and it never really looked like it was going to, but it is what it is. Um, it is what it is. You know, we'll talk through uh, some of the goals and some of the key moments just quickly. Um, I'll just quickly remind you of the team that Mikel Arteta selected uh, today. I know that some of you in the chat want to talk about what happened elsewhere in the Premier League, but we'll be doing a breakdown of the Premier League's final day tomorrow. Um, as well as doing some reflective stuff on the Arsenal. We're going to talk a lot uh, about the Premier League as well. I'm going to give you a team of the season, lots and lots of bits and pieces to come your way. So stay tuned for all of that. In fact, that's a good time to remind you to make sure that you're subscribed to the channel if you're new and remind you to hit that like button if you haven't done so already. There's over 350 of you watching us at the moment, but there's only 45 likes on the board. No reason why we shouldn't have a couple of hundred at the very least. OK, so let's go through the team that Mikel Arteta uh, selected. Ben White was deemed uh, only fit enough for a place on the bench, so he missed out. It was Ramsdale in goal, Cedric holding Gabriel and Tavares across the back line. Elneny and Xhaka were in midfield with Saka, Odegaard and Martinelli in behind Eddie and Ketia. Um, the first goal came from uh, a penalty kick. Uh, Alex Iwobi had the ball struck towards him and he blocked it with his arm. It was Gabriel Martinelli strike and it was Gabriel Martinelli who picked the ball up, put it on the spot, took the penalty, converted it. I must say, when he put the ball down, I was thinking, is this a good idea? But fair play to him, expertly dispatched. And really, really interesting to see um, see him sort of make his way over to the bench and kind of single out a couple of the coaching staff uh, on there uh, to sort of 
pay thanks to. So, you know, interesting that there seems to be that dynamic between Martinelli and the coaching staff, despite some people earlier in the season trying to peddle this narrative that he was unhappy with the coaches, that he was unhappy with Mikel Arteta and that he was getting restless and wanted out of the club. Um, so that, again, goes to dispel some of those damaging rumours that we we were hearing. So that was on the 27th minute and that was given after a VAR check. It was initially missed by the referee. And just four minutes later, Eddie and Ketia popped up with an ins instinctive finish from close range after Martinelli flicked the ball on from a, a set piece at the near post. Uh, nine, ten minutes into the second half, Cedric Suarez, of all people, popped up with a good goal. Uh, Gabriel then added a full three minutes after that before a wonderful piece of play from Martin Odegaard uh, saw him add Arsenal's fifth. What a finish that was. Um, I wondered at that point, you know, because Martin Odegaard's got this thing about sometimes trying to drop players down on the floor, um, you know, and... Uh, and sort of taking too long to get the shot off. And then he ends up sort of letting the opportunity pass him by. But when he got into that position, he executed it brilliantly. Arsenal did, of course, um, concede a goal today. And that goal was scored by Donny van der Beek, who came on to replace Abdoulaye de Coré. Uh, and that was right on the stroke of halftime. Really, really poor defending that from Arsenal. When the ball came across the box, Rob Holding seemed to, like, leave it. Um, and and you can't do that unless you're certain or you get a call from someone behind you that you should leave it. And I'm certain he didn't get a call from Cedric there because why would he? Um, and he just let the ball run across the box. And Donny van der Beek, who made that, um, you know, late charge into the box, was there to, to tap it in from close range and uh, pull a goal back for Everton at the time. Look, I think that, I think that I've, I've you know, I'm getting a bit of heat in the comments, as I always do when I sort of um, talk about Arsenal after some sort of failure. And I, I want to just touch on this one from Troy, who says, are you joking? Pride, you know you'll know when you're an actual adult, when you have the maturity to say, hey, I was wrong. I didn't see what some of you saw. Instead, you double down. I want somebody to tell me, and, and this, this has got to be addressed, right? This has got to be addressed because... One of the things I constantly face on this channel, on any work I do, on any media work I do, is people saying, you just won't admit you're wrong. You just don't want to say that Mikel Arteta is a bad manager. You just don't want to say that this isn't working. At what point did I ever say, at what point did I ever say that Mikel Arteta was going to take Arsenal guaranteed back into the Champions League at this point? If somebody could answer that, I'd be incredibly grateful. I never, ever said that. I said at the start of the season that the realistic objectives were finishing in the top six. That was what needed to happen, given the level of change, given the level of transition, given all that was going on behind the club, given all of the um, all of the uh, the issues that Mikel Arteta and the club and their staff. Um, had to face and had to deal with in order to put right a lot of wrongs over the last few years. Based on all of that, I was realistic about what this team could achieve. I was realistic about how long this was going to take. I was realistic about how we need to put foundations in place. And sometimes you need to take a couple of steps back in order to move forward again. And those two eighth place finishes, 
they were two steps back. But I believe the Arsenal that have just finished in fifth this season are in a much better position than the, the first season that we missed out on the Champions League. Because we've done a lot of work behind the scenes. And I just spoke at length about the fact that all the fans stay behind at the end of the game. I spoke about the atmosphere at the stadium today. I spoke about the unity, the togetherness that we quite clearly see nowadays that we didn't see for many years before. And that suggests that the work being done behind the scenes is creating a better environment. Sometimes you need to rip stuff out and start again. If your foundations are no good, then you're not going to build a sturdy building or a sturdy platform. And so sometimes you need to go back. It's not me doubling down because I'm not saying that I'm happy you know, I'm not saying that this is what I wanted. Obviously, given the position that we were in, I'm happy that, you know, sorry, given the position we were in, I'm disappointed that we didn't finish in the Champions League. But when I go back to the goals and objectives that I believe were achievable for Arsenal at the start of the season, I have to say that they've been met. It's not doubling down. It's being true to your opinion and true to your word. I have seen... Um, nothing to suggest that we're moving in the wrong direction. Stan says, stand by your convictions, change them when you see evidence that warrants a change of opinion. Correct. And I don't um, believe that I've seen anything that suggests that Arsenal are now moving backwards. You know, had we finished eighth again, had we finished seventh again, had we just about scraped into the top six on the last day of the season, I might have looked at this a little bit differently. But to be in the race for Champions League football was way beyond what you people, the same people that are having a go at me now for accepting mediocrity. It's way beyond what you same people were saying was um, was possible for this team. So if you were one of those people at the start of the season that were saying, we'll be lucky if we finish in the top half, Leicester are going to finish above us, Villa are going to finish above us, um, Manchester United are going to finish above us, etc., etc. If you were one of those people, and a lot of you are the same people that are now complaining, then how can you now be outraged with the fact that we've exceeded what your goal and your expectation was or what you thought that this club were capable of? That's what I don't get. You know, did we bottle it? That's that's a common question. Did we bottle it? Yeah, you could call it that. You could. Based on the fact that we were in a very, very good position going into the last few games of the season, you could say, if you want to use that term, that we bottled it. And that would be fair. I don't have a problem with that. But people that see or feel that Arsenal are moving in the right direction under Mikel Arteta now because they look at the bigger picture and the more holistic picture are not doubling down because they thought or thought Mikel Arteta was going to work out. It's not doubling down because there's evidence to suggest that there is progress. There are facts, as Rafa Benitez would say, that indicate a clear progress. Now, if you want to choose to ignore half of them because it suits your agenda, that's fine. But that's up to you. I mean, we've put a poll in the chat, right? We've put a poll in. Let's quickly check in on the results on this. Uh, if you haven't voted on it already, do so and we'll check it out um, a little bit later on. How would you assess this season? Would you say it was a success, a failure or somewhere in between? 42% of you um, feel the same way as me, that it's somewhere in between. 
And I think as time passes and as the dust settles, as I keep saying, you probably will lean more towards the success column than the failure one. But I still think the right place to be at this moment in time is somewhere in between. Um, you know, Mikel Arteta highlighted it in his press conference after the game. And I think this is this is spot on. Last season, 67 points got Chelsea into the Champions League. We got 69 points this season and we've missed out on the Champions League. So that means that we've raised our level, but the level required to get into the Champions League this season and the, the points tally required is higher than it was last season. So you got to think about all of these things. You know, we've picked up two more points this season than Chelsea did last season and we've missed out. So the fact that the, the level has gone up a little bit in terms of what was required in terms of points is something that's worked against us. And it's something that's out of our control, out of our hands. So I'm not saying that we should be looking for reasons, you know, to, to say that it's OK that we missed out on the top four. But it isn't the big disaster that some people want to make it. It isn't the big catastrophe that some people want to make it. And it isn't the big catastrophe that those people who said we couldn't even finish in the top half want to make it. What do you know about football? Clearly not very much because you were way off the mark. And then you've got the cheek to come into the chat here and tell me that I'm off the mark. Because I think that a fifth place is somewhere in between in terms of whether the success... Um, you know, I think that this season, sorry, was somewhere in between in terms of whether the season was a success or a failure. Let's continue um, through. Um, you know, we saw Eddie and Ketia get a goal today again as well. Mikel Arteta didn't give away exactly what their futures hold. I'm talking about his future. I'm talking about Alexander Lacazette's future, who came on and you could see was desperate to score a goal today. I don't know where that's been uh, for the last few months, but... It wasn't to be for him, but I think Mikel Arteta's comments kind of suggest that those two will be leaving the club. So that was probably a farewell and a goodbye. But what we are hearing this evening is that Mohamed Elneny has signed a one-year contract extension with an option to extend it by a further year. And I, you know, I said a few weeks ago that I was okay with this, that if it was short-term, if the role that he was going to be given within the squad was one that he was accepting of, and as long as it was you know, him playing as a fourth, fifth choice, I'd, I'd be okay with it. Um, not jumping up and down with it, enthusiasm or excitement, but okay with it. Um, and I think what we saw, particularly in the games at Spurs and in the games uh, at Newcastle, was that actually when you have Mohamed Elneny in the side for a long period of time, you will start to see those flaws and those shortcomings. And again, I'm not, you know, even off, off the back of those two performances, I'm not very um like i'm not angry about this i'm not annoyed by this i'm not against it i'm also not massively for it either uh, but it looks like mohammed Elneny will be staying on at the club a little bit longer so yeah look that that's that's how i'm feeling today you know i i could spend ages going into the um into the um you know into the ins and outs of today's game and i, I don't really feel like this is a day for that i feel like i'd rather take a lot of your questions and a lot of your comments for the remainder of the show. So just to summarise where I'm feeling, I am disappointed that we missed out on Champions League football, given the position we were in. 
But I am proud of the progress made. I am proud of the fact that we're moving in the right direction. And I'm proud of this young group of players, this young manager. And I'm proud of the fact that I feel connected with my football club again. And a lot of other fans will tell you that as well. Match-going fans will tell you that. And the reason I differentiate between match-going fans and non-match-going fans is not because I think that people who don't go to the games are, um, you know, any less or any less important or or their opinions are any less valid. But I think what's very easy um, to do in this new modern age of social media is to see a few comments here or there of the loud minority and believe that that is the general consensus. And then you turn up to the stadium and you get something completely different. So I make that differentiation because I want to make it clear that inside the stadium, everybody was behind the team today. Everybody was behind uh, the manager. Everybody applauded them at the end of the game. Um, and every Premier League club, every club in a lot of the divisions and around the world go around the pitch and do a lap of appreciation. It's not a celebration lap of the fact that we finished fifth. It's to say thank you to the supporters. So those criticising that as well clearly haven't been watching Premier League football for very long because it's been a tradition for many, many years. Um, you know, going back to that difference between... Spurs and us, Conte has two world-class strikers to rely on. We do not. And again, listen, as I keep saying, the, the decision not to do th that business in January, the decision not to panic by and bring in somebody that we weren't sure on is okay with me as long as when the summer comes, we are decisive and we take action and we bring in a top, top striker. The plan, the process was to get back in the Europa League this season. That was the target. That was the objective. That was the ambition. Arsenal took a gamble on whether or not they could achieve that without bringing in another striker. Some of us might argue that that cost us the Champions League. Maybe it did. Who knows? But Arsenal will tell you that that gamble paid off because they've achieved their objective and they now have a clean slate in that centre-forward position to go out in the summer and identify exactly the right man without having used some of the resource, without having tied up some of that resource in a deal that maybe they weren't 100% sure on in January. Only time will tell, depending on who we get this summer, whether or not that was the right call and the right decision. Alexis Sanchez says, Harry, if Arteta doesn't get the top four next season, what's the excuse? This is the classic of, of what Arsenal fans that want to have a go do. They start asking hypothetical questions that you can't possibly answer at this point in a bid to try and trip you up, to trip you into saying something so that they can latch onto that. And, and the reality is, mate, that we are not in a place to talk about next season now. We don't know what business is going to be done. As I keep saying, we've just finished a really emotionally draining season. This is not the time uh, to be looking at next season. When, when we get into a position where we know a little bit more about what our squad's going to look like next time out, then I will sit and make my prediction and I will set what I believe is uh, it is needed um, in terms of what we need to achieve. I'm not going to do that today. Um, what else have we got? Um, Josh Hunter says, we've got to reach the Europa final next season. Listen, I'm quite optimistic and quite positive about the fact that we could go very, very far in that competition. And, you know, yeah, there is a disappointment in not making the Champions League, but I think you should always try and look at the silver lining. I think that that's the way you cope with disappointment and you cope with frustration. I think that looking for the silver lining is helpful. And I guess the silver lining for me would be that that is a competition. When you look at the fact that Rangers and Eintracht Frankfurt made the final this year, 
that we're very, very capable of winning, particularly if we go out and strengthen, particularly if we can keep key players fit. And can you imagine what a boost or springboard or platform that would be for this young group of players if they could go on and achieve European glory next season? Imagine the boost and the lift that that would give this whole football club and this project moving forward. I'd love to, I think we have to go far in the competition. I'd love to see us go far in the competition. I'd love to see us go on and win it. But it is a cup competition at the end of the day. And so when people say we've got to get to this round or we've got to get to that round or we've got to get to the final or we need to win it, I'm always reluctant to jump on those things because cup competitions are cup competitions. And we've seen many a shocks over the years. And one night, which is all it takes to, to see yourself, one moment is all it takes to see yourself eliminated, doesn't define or doesn't reflect upon all the work that you've done over an entire season. Um, here we go. Maximus says, 13 losses and conceded one less goal than Emery's catastrophe of a fifth place. Get your mouth off Mikel's nutsack. First of all, who called Emery's fifth place finish a catastrophe? Not me. Not me. Unai Emery cost us the top four that season because he decided to disrespect the Premier League, disrespect the Crystal Palace, disrespect the Brighton. And we ended up dropping points in those games and we fell short. Then we went to the Europa League final and embarrassed ourselves. Again, I didn't even pin that on Unai Emery. I thought the players that night were horrendous. I thought they were awful. The reason Unai Emery had to get sacked was because Unai Emery lost the dressing room. Unai Emery lost the dressing room. And why did he lose the dressing room? Because senior players turned against him, were laughing at him, were taking the piss out of him behind his back. One of which was probably Pierre-Emerick Aubameyang, the same guy that you're now having a go at, Mikel Arteta for bombing out. But when it was Unai Emery, you felt sorry for him. And, um, and you know, it, it, it was okay. It, it, it's just all so hypocritical. Why does Emery keep coming up in the conversation? He wasn't the right man for Arsenal at that point. He just wasn't. And over time, we started to see that. Nobody called his fifth place finish a catastrophe. So you're making things up to suit your agenda. Uh, what else have we got? Um, Mickey says, Harry, I believe uh, taking all things into consideration, we finished just about where we belong. The reality is our squad is not better than the teams that finished above us in the table. Yeah, I mean, I would argue that between um, ourselves and Tottenham, there isn't that much. There really isn't. And I've, I've said it repeatedly. The difference for me is, yeah, they've got a, a more experienced and a more accomplished and a better manager. Um, and they've also got two world-class forwards. And that is the difference. The rest of it, I don't really look at them as being particularly stronger than us. And... And I don't think either of us, not us, not Spurs, have been good um, in, in the last few months, have been able to cope with the pressure. You know, Tottenham obviously cope with it a little bit better because they had maybe a manager who's been through it, through it more times, who's been there, done that. Um, and they've got top, top players that have dug them out of holes and out of difficult situations. But I think you're right, Mickey. I think fifth is probably about right. You know, it's probably about right. Um, uh, says, no, Harry, it was 61 last year and 69 this year. Not much change, but there is progress, but not with points. No, that, that's not, 
I said that 67 points got you in the Champions League, not that we got 67 points, that 67 points was the total that Chelsea finished on in order to get themselves in the top four. And we finished on 69 this season, took two more than they managed and we missed out, which shows you that the level went up in terms of what was needed, in terms of what you needed to achieve to get into uh, the top four. And we surpassed what Chelsea did last season, but it still wasn't enough. Um, what else have we got? Uh, Lone Star Londoner says, the minimum target at the start of the season was fifth and a return to Europa League football. We surrendered top four in January. Again, we'll, we'll go around in circles, but I'm not massively... Um, I think that we left ourselves a little bit short, but I think a lot of you know, the, the issues we had were, were due to players not being able to stay fit and rotten luck. I mean, yeah, you can argue that we could have brought in more players, but as I keep saying, part of the process still is to still clear out and we needed to clear out and, and we've done a bit of that. And I'm hoping that this summer gives us another um, sort of opportunity to go out and be quite bold in what we do in the transfer market, just like we were last summer, uh, quite decisive. And, and hopefully we bring in the right players to take us uh, onto that next step and that level further. So is what it is, man. Um, I think we can keep pointing back to January. And as I say, we're going to break it all down. We're going to do some different episodes. We're going to do, um, you know, lots and lots of review pieces over the next week. And, and we'll we'll touch on that, I'm sure, at some point. Um, what else have I got in the chat box? Uh, apologies if I miss out on some of your comments. Uh, I'm still being asked about what my excuses are by Alexis Sanchez. Mate, how many times are you going to spam the same comment in the chat? Um, Mile High Guna says, proud of the last day for ending the campaign with a bang. was really nice to see the match going fans sticking around. They have their best just run out of gas towards the end. They gave their best just run out of gas towards the end onwards. Come on, you gunners. I agree with that. Uh, Uday says, I'm proud of the manager and the players for a good season. And now a year older and more experienced and getting some experienced players to mix it up will help Arsenal do much better next year. Uh, do, 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 do. Uh, typically, Arsenal fans says, Harry, unless Arsenal get over their fear factor of dealing with high pressure games, Arsenal won't progress. What do you think? Look at the examples of Newcastle and the Spurs game. Mate, I, I literally said it um, straight after the Newcastle game that we just froze. We just froze in the situation under the circumstances. And unfortunately, we weren't good enough to handle that pressure. And this is what happens when you have inexperience. You know, it can happen to the best of players. But particularly when we're talking about a young, inexperienced group. And this is what, for me, highlights the need now to go out this summer and bring in players who they don't necessarily have to be much more senior in age, but they have to have been there, done it. They have to have been around the block a few times. They have to have been... Um, you know, involved in high pressure situations and come through them and understand and uh, and, and know how to deal with those um, those moments and how to best get through them. Uh, Hope says, um, Harry, thanks for all your work. Where were the celebration police with Everton celebration the other night? Fans were on the pitch and Frank was in the director's box hugging everyone, but no one reacted. Yeah, exactly, man. Um, what else have we got? Um look at this. Ozil and Xhaka got Emery fired. He made Xhaka captain. I don't think Xhaka had a problem. Xhaka had a problem with the fans. 
Uh, name block says you're a liar. Yeah, cheers, mate. Um, what are you doing watching me then on a Sunday night? Uh, Freddie, uh, thank you so, so much, mate, for your very, very kind super chat donation. I really, really do appreciate you, mate. All the best and thank you uh, for your support throughout the season. It really does uh, mean the world to me. Uh, we've got another super chat somewhere that I just want to pick up as well before um, I lose it. Hold on a second. Here it is uh, from Matt, who says, this is a success. Two years ago, we celebrated uh, drawing with Southampton 2-2. <laughs> um, I'm a hypocrite. I'm a clown. All of the usual stuff um, in the chat box. But I've come to expect it uh, of late. It's fine. Um, finally, a question from Alexis Sanchez that isn't the same one over and over again. Do you trust Arteta to bring in the right players this summer? Yeah, I do. Um, I do. I do trust in Arteta and Edu as a combination to to do some good business. I think that last season, uh, last summer, the majority of the business that they did, that a lot of us saw as questionable at the time, myself included, has proven to be good business. And I'm hoping that that can continue. I think that they've earned the right to be given another summer of backing. And I think that they've earned the right to be given the opportunity to take this project further. Uh, what else have we got? Umer says, what would you change about this season? I mean, it's out of everybody's hands apart from one man's, but I'd have wanted Pierre-Emerick Aubameyang firing. And let's be honest, before, um, before you know, it was made public that something had gone down and he was left out of the team, he wasn't firing. Um, you know, it, it, that for me is, is one of the big things that cost us. But I don't blame a manager for wanting to discipline him. I don't blame a manager for feeling that that kind of toxicity would be better off away from the group, away from the crowd. I mean, what kind of example? We keep talking about Project Youth and Project, you know, um, young young guns and, and all of that stuff. And, and what kind of example would it set to have a captain who was behaving the way Pierre-Emerick Aubameyang was at that time? Um Gimbertal says, since everyone's piling in on you, Harry, I might as well join in. You're a media lovey. Cheers, mate. Thank you. Uh, what else have we got? Um, 33 Fiverr says, Harry, love your content. Thank you, mate. Question is, do you trust the Cronkies to back Arteta financially to add quality players to the team? We're going to we're gonna see that this summer. You know, we're going to we're going to learn a lot more about their intentions now because they've They've kind of pushed out this trust the process. It's going to take time. We know what we're doing. We're moving on the right path. We're moving um, in the right direction narrative. And now if they don't follow it through, if they don't see it through till the end, then there will be an element of hypocrisy to what they've been telling us. It could come across that it was all a load of nonsense. So I am very, very curious to see how this summer is going to go. You know, how's it going to go? Are they going to back him? If they back him, then great. Let's move forward. Let's see how we go next season. But, um, you know, do I trust them 100%? I'll never cr uh, trust the Cronkies 100%. Never. They, they've got a lot of ground to make up if they think that people are going to sit there and say, yes, I'm trusting of them. What they've done is they've pushed the angry mob back a little bit by spending money last summer, by showing themselves to be um, you know, uh, more present, more active, 
um, you know, more involved. And I think that's good, you know, but um, let's see. Let's see. Uh, John says, you never read my questions. I'll look out for one. Pop it in the chat again, mate. The chat is popping off with people having a go at me this evening. So I might miss uh, a few bits and pieces. I do apologize if I do. Um, Baguma says, uh, Harry, what happens to fifth if Liverpool win the Champions League? Any fan who cannot see where we are heading, finishing the season high with the youngest squad, then you don't really support Arsenal. I mean, I find it weird because I don't understand why we as a fan base are much more wanting to have a go at our team than anybody else. I mean, look at Sunderland, right? Look at Sunderland, okay? And I was watching the Sunderland game yesterday in the, the League One playoff final against Wickham Wanderers. Sunderland Football Club have been through shit. They've been to hell and back. They've been relegated down to the championship and then relegated again down to League One, in which they languished for four years. And they get into a playoff final against Wickham and they bring down from the northeast a crowd like that a crowd like that did you see that if you haven't check it out why because even when they're unhappy even when they're disappointed even when they're frustrated they support their side they get behind their side and and i look at our fan base and, and i think there are a lot of people like that that would follow arsenal to the end of the earth and back but there are also a lot of people that don't deserve to be, you know, labelled as Arsenal supporters in my mind, because it's not, it's not support, it's entitlement. You know, I'm, I deserve this, I deserve that, I'm entitled, I want this, Arsenal should be doing this, Arsenal, who are we? Who are we? <laughs> it drives me absolutely mad, the sense of entitlement for a side that hasn't won, we haven't won the Premier League since 2004, yet people expect us to be challenging it for it now. The landscape has changed. The whole picture has changed. And that entitlement drives me absolutely crazy. We're not just going to ping up from eighth place to winning the Premier League title. We've, we've got to make progress slowly. That's how it works. And, um, and we've moved from eighth till fifth. And people say that that's, that's completely unacceptable. Um, I'm going to start blocking people in the chat soon, by the way, because there's a few a few idiots in there. Um, what else have we got? Um, I haven't banned you, Troy. Um, you're still very much in the chat. Um, what else have we got? What else have we got? Uh, Henry says, Arsenal exceeded all expectations this season. Despite no European football, we could quite easily, but for injuries and poor officials, um, have made the CEO. It's a young team with a couple of additions onwards and upwards. Come on, the Gunners. Uh, Troy says uh, the fan base over 35 have waited 18 years. Um, what else have we got? Brad Lynch says we've been sport by the successes of Wenger, so most get antsy and want to follow the Chelsea model of sacking every six months. Yeah, exactly. I mean, it would have been the same people that would have been when Arsene Wenger was hired going, 
who the hell is this guy? Where did they get him from? Where did they find him from? Um, it's listen, we all want to see Arsenal right back at the top of the pile. We all want to see that's where we aspire to be. It's what everybody wants. It's what everybody that genuinely feels a love and connection to this football club wants to see. But there's lots of things in life that we want that are unrealistic and unachievable at this moment in time. That doesn't mean you give up on that hope. You should always have that hope and that should always be your motivation. But, you know, if you don't achieve it the next day, it doesn't mean that you should be sort of kicking yourself and beating yourself up about it. And I I, I really don't get it. Like, I, I, I can't get my head around why the same people who said that we were going to be a car crash this season are now telling us that because we were in the, that we should have finished in the top four and the fact that we haven't met makes this season a failure. It's hypocrisy. It's double standards. You can say I've got low standards. You've got double standards. Different. Um, Stan the Man says, I get the entitlement. It stems from watching your team go invincible, but not build on it. But football has changed since then, Stan. And, th and this is the point that people miss. This is the point that people keep missing. And I can't get my head around why. It's such an obvious point for me. And I, and I can't get my head around why people ignore it all the time. When we went the season unbeaten, Chelsea as a football superpower, if you want to call them that, were in their infancy. I think Roman Abramovich had taken over the season before. Okay. Manchester United were the team to beat. And that was it. Liverpool were incredibly inconsistent up and down at that point. And there wasn't really anything else in the league. So, you know, as long as you were better than Manchester United, you would win the Premier League. And we managed to make history that season by going on and becoming invincibles. And, and, and it was fantastic. But at that time, you had to take it in and drink it in and understand what an amazing moment this was because it's not something that you're going to see every day. It's probably something that you're never going to see again. Why? Because the standard of the league has increased and has continued to increase ever since then. Chelsea have emerged as a football superpower. That's exactly what they've been over the last 20 years or so under Roman Abramovich. Manchester United continued to win things after that. Liverpool have emerged as a force again under Jurgen Klopp because of some great recruitment, some excellent coaching and some very smart sales. Manchester City were born out of nowhere and now, you know, dominate the Premier League. Four Premier League title wins in five seasons. So now you're talking about a league that includes not just one or two top sides, but five or six. And then is and then you're talking about Newcastle now as well. We've got this massive financial power and will probably themselves go on and push up to another level. So the point I'm trying to make here is that where 10 years ago finishing in the top four was was very achievable. And and, you know, at the time people were saying, well, you know, that shouldn't be a trophy. I get that. Now, it's not four teams. It's not five teams competing for four spots. Now you, you're going to end up in a position where you've got six or seven. To think the, the way football's gone, that one of us, Manchester United or Tottenham, three of the traditional big six would have to miss out on a top four position is, is crazy. You know, two of us, did I say that right? Let me re let me say that again. 
because I'm I'm tired and I don't know if I said that right and I don't want it, the, the message to be misconstrued. To be in a place now where one or only one of three of the former big six can qualify for the Champions League because of the current state of play tells you all you need to know about how much more difficult it's become. And I don't understand why people can't process that. I, and that's where I get annoyed with the entitlement bit. Because what you achieved 20 years ago doesn't entitle you to go on and achieve it today. Manchester City are a 10 times better football team than Arsenal today. Historically, they're not. And historically, you know, there's still a long way to go before Manchester City build up the kind of history and prestige that you can put on some of the other clubs. But it's not about history. It's about today. It's about the teams that you have at your disposal today. It's about the players that you have available to you today. It's not about what happened 20 years ago. Football works in cycles. Teams peak, teams fall off. And and that entitlement thing, it's it's a nonsense to me. You know, Sunderland fans, I used that example a little bit earlier on. Do they, When they play against the Premier League side now, do they feel entitled to win because of the fact that they've been in the Premier League all those years ago? No, it, it doesn't work like that. Entitlement is a nonsense. You look at the current state of play and you make logical and rational and balanced um, assessments based on the evidence that you have in front of you today, not what you believe to be true based on history. Uh, Dave says, um, thanks so much, Harry, for all your effort this season in keeping us up to date with Arsenal. Thank you so much, mate. And for your very, very kind donation. I really, really do appreciate it. Uh, he says, we're not ready for Champions League yet, but next season we must be. Have a great summer. Thank you um, so, so much. Um, lots and lots of thank yous in the chat among uh, among the criticism as well. So I, I, I really do appreciate that. Thank you guys um, so, so much. It honestly does mean the world look i'm going to um i'm gonna leave it there because i'm absolutely shattered and as i say it's very very difficult to break it all down and and try and understand exactly what went wrong and what we could have done better and what we could have would have should have done all of that stuff at this point um you know it, it's still raw um it it still hurts um but at the same time, I think there are positives to take away from this season that you will only be able to see, perhaps, once the dust has settled a little bit more. Let's see. Anyway, um, I'll catch you all very, very soon. I'll be back tomorrow with some more content and we'll start that breakdown and we'll start that post-mortem of what's been a long old season. Um, if you're not going to be joining us through the summer, I hope you have a great summer. Um doing whatever it is that you're going to be doing away from the game of football. Take a bit of uh, downtime. Take it easy. I hope you will join us for some of the content that we've got coming your way because we're not stopping. We're going to be going right through the summer um, as far as I know. <laughs> uh, but yeah, look, thank you all so, so much again. Um, and, uh, and I appreciate it. And I'll catch you all very, uh, very soon. Until then, goodbye. I'm Martin Tyler, and you're listening to Harry Simpson.